Hello everyone and welcome to the Manchester Red Podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Daniel Murphy and joining me today is Mr Rich Fay. How's it going Rich? Yeah, too bad. Thank you very much. Um, snow, it's just been snowing and now it's bright sunshine so who yeah. knows what to expect in the next hour or so. Yeah, I've had that all day as well. Um, very turbulent weather. But hopefully it wasn't too turbulent for you, Mr Samuel Lucas, on your way back uh, from Spain uh, this morning or yesterday evening. I hope you had a lovely trip to Madrid. How was it? Yeah, it was it was very enjoyable. It's a it's a great city. If, if nobody's been, thoroughly recommend it. It was it was quite quite warm and seasonable and sunny. Uh, so it was yeah. Compared to how it is here, it's it's much more preferable. And um, the the early morning, very very early start after a very very late finish was worth it just to just to get back quite early as well. So it, all, all is well. Fortunately, very good trip. Thank you. That's great to hear. And you also got to watch quite the football match. Um, United somehow escaping Madrid. Um, with the tie level um, after the first leg. Uh, there's no away goals now, of course, so it's not quite as advantageous as it could have been, perhaps. But for United to be in the situation they were in, Samuel, where for 80 minutes they've been pretty much largely dominated. Um, Jao Felix gave a Afloco the lead after just six minutes and they had ample opportunities to kind of extend that lead and perhaps even to kind of finish the tie as a contest. Um, uh, Visako, and I've learned how to say it after last week, um, hit the crossbar towards the end of the half and they had plenty of other chances um, and really should have been out of sight before Anthony Nalanga came on and was the hero to get United level. And then before the full-time whistle blew, United themselves might have won it. So it's definitely um, finally poised ahead of the second leg in a few weeks' time. But yeah, what a kind of odd and quite intriguing game. It was, uh, certainly for an hour over an hour it, it was really poor from united they they felt their way back into the game in, in in the second half mainly through the the substitutions and and they probably came came a bit too late and it, it was still a bold bold move from rangnick there were three defensive players coming on united were one nil down they hadn't even had an attempt on target at that point but there was definite logic to those changes at the time because the the, the problem from the very moment the team was announced was that there was there was an exper- experiment at right back that was just so perplexing and inexplicable that it, as as Rangnick said himself, it, the, the plans for Lindelof there went in the dustbin as soon as Felix scored in in the seventh minute, I think it was. But it was still peculiar that with two specialist right backs available, he decided to relocate Lindelof there. I, I just didn't see any rhyme or reason to it. And unfortunately for United, uh, Lodi was who was possibly Atletico's best player. Um, had the run of it down there. They they had they'd obviously scored from his brilliant cross, and they could have scored another goal from from one of his crosses as well. And in midfield, the balance was just all wrong. Um, it's it's amazing how much damage one one absent midfielder can do. And I, I know McTominay has been overplayed the last few years, and uh, to many people, his his skill set is that of a squad player and a valuable squad player at that. But when he's not there there's there's a problem and Matic was never going to start he hadn't played in over a month he'd had an injury recently but that midfield of Fred Pogba and Fernandez just did not look right you you don't maximize Fred's strengths by playing him at the base of midfield that's been apparent over the last probably the last two months really um, since since Michael Carrick in fact played him in an advanced role during his his caretaker time and that situation was was exacerbated by Pogba and, and Fernandez playing like embarrassingly badly um you know you could have taken your pick as to which one came off when they did I, I don't think we can 
keep on excusing Pogba having tiredness coming back from a three-month layoff. I mean, his first game was, what, three weeks ago now, I think, against Middlesbrough. He's had plenty of playing time to get himself to to optimum fitness and he's he's not had this issue before so you you start to wonder whether that that's just becoming a, an excuse there um but obviously with with Alanga being the standout attacking possible uh, change to bring on uh Rangnick had to go with that in the end and of course it, it paid off and what I would say about Alanga is that um he, he mixed it up he, he went on he embarked on a run that is beyond Ronaldo now because Ronaldo's aging and He's, he's getting caught offside a hell of a lot of times now because he wants a head start on the last man because he's not got the legs to stay ahead of him. Langer doesn't need that. And having that kind of unknown quantity factor coming onto, into the game really caught Atletico by surprise. I mean, it was a pass that probably should have been cut out and, and Oblak didn't cover himself in glory with, with his poor positioning for the goal, but it was still a very well-taken goal and, and very well-worked as well, just watching it, uh, the replay of it this morning because monitors were pretty scarce in the uh, in the press tribune it's, it's a superbly worked goal and in fairness to Ronaldo Fernandez and Fred they they were poor last night but they you know they really turned it on for that move and the way they worked it up to Alanga and ultimately United's record in Spain is is pretty poor and getting a 1-1 draw at the Spanish champions has to be a positive result but as you said where the away goal doesn't come into it anymore and even if you get a 1-1 draw away from home the first leg the only the only way the away goal applies is if you draw nil nil on the second leg, which is is never really the intention. Uh, the dynamic is is slightly different, and as, as the cliche goes, the the tie is still finally poised, even though you just say maybe United have the slight advantage because they are at home in the second leg. Yeah, absolutely. I think Rich last um, before the match on a Tuesday, we kind of were a bit dismissive of Atletico, I think, and we were right to to be so. I mean, the previous week against the bottom of the league in the very same stadium, they failed to have a shot on target against the bottom of the league as they lost to Osasuna. But then, with on the big stage, I think Simeone must have gotten them riled up for it because they were the kind of, well, not as obviously as good as they have been in the years gone by. It was very reminiscent of Atletico of the past where, well, maybe even not so because they attacked much more than you'd normally expect for Atletico, but the way they were fought and contained United so well for the vast majority of the match was it was the quality that you'd actually usually expect from Atletico that we kind of didn't think we'd see. And the, I said, they made life very, very hard for United until them, them changes uh, in about around the 70th minute mark, so 60th minute, kind of helped United wrestle a bit of control back. Yeah, exactly. But I'd also say United made it hard for themselves last night because I think Atletico, you sort of summed up there, they, they are sort of a cup team, they get themselves up for it. I mean, You've got a fantastic new stadium. You've got such a boisterous crowd. You're playing Man United at home. You can sense an upset. You know, I know Atletico haven't been in good form, but neither have United. I know maybe pre-match we were sort of getting a bit complacent about how how good United can be on their day. But you know, this is still a United team, like we said, who were lucky to beat Norwich, drew with Burnley. You know, lost at home to Wolves. They they've been crap this season. You know, they they they're not, they're not very good themselves. So saying that United going into it as strong favourites, um, you know, maybe was a bit. Bit naive of us all, and like I said, I think United were just quite bad as well. So it's a bit of both, really, in that aspect. But like Samuel said, it's the, the tie is just up in the air now. At least that goal has given United that belief, and it was so good that United were able to end on that high because that's really changed the mood. Really, there, there is that optimism. Where if it was the other way around, if it was United who had scored early and they conceded late on, it might have been a bit more of a, a negative feeling today. But yeah, 
I mean, Ranjik again, second game in the space of half a week where he's completely changed it with his substitutions as well. Um, you know, he's got them spot on. That's something that we used to always criticise Solskjaer of. And I know you can say that you can criticise him for the actual starting eleven and the tactical approach to begin with. But then if you're doing that, you've got to give him the credit for, for changing it up as well. And to be fair, all the subs made an impact. Of course, you know, Alanga the headline there, but Matic was excellent again. He so often has been really for United from the bench. And I guess that's the problem going forward really is when you've got a, a player who makes such a good impact off the bench, do you keep them in that role where they can come on and influence the game or do you start them? Because so often players who are good subs get a run in the lineup and then they don't have the same sort of impact because it's a different type of role. So it's going to be really interesting to see how, how that one develops. Of course, with Watford at home this weekend, United probably can play, you know, more of an experimental team in that regard and reward players like Alanga with a, with a start, which would be deserved. But there's so much to play for in this tie. And, you know, Rannick will say that themselves. I mean, without the away goal, it sounds like it doesn't really make much of a difference whether that's in or not at this moment in time. But the worry for United is how much they're exploited again down that right-hand side. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be no sort of right answer anymore because even Joe Vidalo, who I know loads of fans love, got absolutely torn apart by Dan Juma in the group stages. And, you know, he's a player who could be exposed as well in the second leg. So it's really interesting to see. It's finally poised, but, you know, we're back at square one almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think, Samuel, the right back is kind of the most interesting thing. It was the, you know, the eyebrow raiser when the team sheet was announced. Um, initially, the thought was like it might be a back three, but then that made no sense of Sancho being moved to a right wing back mm-hmm. position. He was the only value, uh, uh, kind of candidate for that. And then as it transpired after UEFA's confusion of putting out different lineups, it was Lindelof at right back. And Rangnick kind of justified it by saying he might have wanted his kind of physical presence at set pieces um, and crosses and whatnot, which, you know, didn't help that. Um, that as, as I said, that plan went out the window after six minutes when uh, Loddy down his side just rinsed past him and delivered an excellent cross for Felix to head in. Um, the right back is kind of up in the air now. I could kind of even see the justification for Lindelof playing there for how well he did coming forward out of defence against Leeds. But he's clearly just not got the pace to deal with any kind of natural wingers to play there. And as you say, Dallo, while he's done well going forward, as in he actually goes forward, his delivery itself hasn't been the best, really. And wan has had his problems, as we saw against Leeds. You know, as we've said numerous times, United um, scouted over 800 right backs and have ended up with two that, not no one can actually hold down a place, but for the substitutions that, that worked, Wan Bissaka came on and I thought did actually quite well along with Telles yeah. on the other side. So yeah, who you know for Watford going forward and for this second leg in a few weeks, like who who does he go there at right back? Because Lodi has also already kind of really pronounced himself as the, a big threat in that Atletico team, and I think as well as United subs worked, I think that Simeone at the same time taking off Lodi and Felix, who were Atletico's best players in an attacking sense kind of hindered their, hindered their momentum as well. Yeah, I, it was interesting that Atletico deliberately held back some of their, their big guns as well. Uh, obviously, Griezmann came on and was was very unlucky in hitting the crossbar. You'd imagine Suarez would have been jumping at the bit to, to play against United, and, and maybe that occasion will come at Old Trafford in a few weeks' time. But when their team dropped, you looked at it and you thought, you know, United really should be taking the game to them. Um, that it's probably the worst Atletico side in terms of European knockouts under Simeone that there's ever been. I think, you know, go back to the Liverpool game of, a couple of years ago, they had a stronger side then. Uh, last season, they won the league. This season, they've, they've not been good domestically. That They have been cracked starting to show there. And just, they don't have that 
intimidating presence about them anymore even in defense Jimenez is a very very good defender but he's he's certainly not Diego Godin Stefan Savage is certainly not Miranda levels either so it's it's easy to look back at the the recent Atletico sides and particularly the team that, that got to the Champions League final twice and think that oh they're you know they're not at that level anymore but I still felt as though some of you know reports of their demise have been greatly exaggerating that their recent knockout games which they lost to Chelsea last season I think it was and, and Leipzig the season before um you know the, the key context there was that the home leg against Chelsea last season was not played in Madrid because of Covid and the Leipzig game was was a straight knockout played in you know in an empty stadium so they didn't even have the benefit of their own supporters when they have I think when they play at home uh, or certainly their record at home at the you know under Simeone with with supporters present uh, they've they've not lost. So that, again, probably made it a pretty good result for United in that sense. But they are still very, very gettable. And I just thought it kind of sent out the wrong message and, and if anything, invited Atletico on to them. I mean, Atletico were completely transparent about their lineup. Their Twitter um, feed made it very, very clear that they were playing with a back three. United kept everyone guessing pretty much up until the warm-up where because the the four defenders were working together in, in the drills, that's always the giveaway as to whether they're playing with a back three or a back four. At that point, it was safe to assume it was a back four. But it just didn't, it just wasn't vindicated. I, I can understand maybe Rangnick felt out of loyalty to Lindelof, he had to start him because he did pretty well against Leeds, and there's no way. It would have been illogical not to have started Varane given the wealth of experience he has of playing against Atletico and the fact that he's won the Champions League four times. But there's, you know, the, the saying is there's there's no room for sentiment in football. And if you were to have played Lindelof, maybe put him in uh, midfield to try and address the balance because he has played there before. He's not played there before for United. But there, there would have been some method uh, behind that. I, I just didn't see any logic in him starting ahead of two right-backs. Wan-Bissaka, arguably, he, his, his United career is already a write-off. But as you said, he, he did pretty well and was quite lively last night. He, he certainly created one opening, I think, with, with a pass that went across the penalty area. And it, it might have resulted in that, that free kick that Ronaldo wasted. And with Dallow, I think he has improved defensively, but he's just got he's got the balance wrong. It's almost as if a, a year of um, a, a gap year studying Catanaccio play in, in in Italy has has made him more defensive minded, and he's kind of deserted some of his attacking assets because it was very apparent when he first joined United that he was an attack minded fullback, but his his end product has been has been really really poor, and and clearly they're unconvinced about about both of them Dallow started eight games and then he's he's just been bombed out for uh, Wan-Bissaka who was out in the cold for such a long time and then Lindelof comes in at right back for the first time I think it was since Leicester and Boxing Day last season it might have been and of course he played at right back in Barcelona a few years ago as well it's well documented that they wanted Trippier in the summer and it's still it's certainly still an area that I think they do need to they need to reinforce in the summer. You look at the major teams um, in Europe, they have playmaking right-backs or full-backs. City have Cancelo, Liverpool have Trent Alexander-Arnold. Reese James pretty much occupies that role for Chelsea as well. Um, Joshua Kimmich has, has, has become more of a midfielder now at Bayern Munich, but starts out at full-back. You know, it's, it's uncanny how he's, 
his career path has, has mirrored Philip Lums at, at the same club previously and just how seamless that succession planning has been. And Alfonso Davis is so forward thinking as well for them. So United do need that level of fallback. And the only way to do that is to buy sensibly. And you wouldn't really have the faith in them to do that, particularly given this, you know, the, the 804 precedent, which I think I think people at the club have come to regret that um, that particular briefing. It, it maybe didn't help Wambasaka too much as well in that, you know, the, the easy joke to make is that the hundred, the 805th right back was unlucky not to have made the list. And, and they, they did eventually settle on the most obvious pick there and, there was certainly, I mean, we, Rich and I were on that tour that summer and we saw firsthand that you know, Wan-Bissaka's character, everything that United told us about the recruitment reboot and what they want in the personality of a United player, he is the polar opposite to it. There, Unfortunately, apart from his, his sliding tackles, there aren't many redeeming features. And just celebrating a sliding da- tackle, I mean, that's, that's pretty much a throwback really to... 20 30 years ago in english football or that's something that you know really gets people off their off their seats in in, in non-league or football league games you, you could still you know you could still get a crowd up with a, with a sliding tackle but if you're man united and and that's the absolute optimum for their main right back then something is certainly wrong yeah absolutely but I can't have enough of the, all the negatives just for now. I think, Rich, it would be a miss of us if we didn't kind of give a bit more shine to Alanga. It's been a great week for him. You know, came on at Leeds, um, scored the kind of crucial goal there after hitting, you know, overcoming quite um, a difficult situation there after kind of getting hit with projectiles from the crowd and then missing um, a sitter straight after that. Um, he did well to come kind of bounce back from that and score a really good goal against Leeds. And then given the chance against Atletico Madrid on the biggest stage, he really did deliver. And we've kind of said a few times on this podcast that the talent is there, the raw attributes are so there and he's got the right attitude. He speaks so well. I was really impressed with him in his in his interview afterwards, actually. And he's clearly got the desire and the talent there. And as we said, it's just now a case of putting that all together and doing it consistently over 90 minutes uh, rather than just flashes of brilliance here and there. Yeah, exactly. And that sort of brings me on to that first point. Like I said, I would still start him at Watford, but he still is better as an impact player because what he offers, he's a direct runner. He doesn't have any sort of fear in him. He just he just runs and he causes defenders a nightmare. And, you know, it's credit to him. I mean, I think the biggest compliment to him is, is that maturity. I think it was last summer Bruno Fernandes was saying that he was already treating him like a first-team player because he is so mature in the way that he's adapted, you know, in the first-team training sessions. He's not been overawed by it at all. He's really taken to it well. And, you know, that he is, he quickly made that transition from under-23s to, to senior football. And that could easily have, you know, been curtailed when he got injuries at, at youth level. He had that horrible, was it the shoulder injury, you know, that, that kept him out for a long time. But he came back and he's just always been determined. And coaches have probably been a bit surprised by him because if you were to ask United fans, a year ago, year and a half, they would have said Hannibal and Shoratire are the ones who are, are pushing on the on the first team. But almost like when Brandon William observed uh, Ethan Laird in his promotion to the first team, Anthony Alanga's done that with the, the forward players as well. And the reason they like him so much is because, yeah, he is a raw player, but he's just got the right attitude. And that goes a, a long way. And when Samuel said there about you know United's transfer reboot, their strategy, they put a big emphasis on the players being good for the dressing room as well as good on the pitch. And Alanga certainly ticks all the boxes for United in terms of what they want from a player, come from the academy system. Okay, he's not been there since a very young age, but he's another coup at, at 
at youth team level, someone they developed well, someone who's come on leaps and bounds and now is, you know, in line to be in a Sweden squad in the next international break and someone who is going to have aspirations of being involved in their squads at major tournaments in the years to come because, you know, we saw that at the European Championship last summer, how there was that gap for extra attacking quality. And if you've got someone who's got to be a senior international at the age of 19, that is, that's incredible. And it's credit to Ralph Rannick as well. I mean, no matter what happens between now and the end of the season, Anthony Alanga is going to be that sort of lasting impact, maybe the legacy of Ralph Rannick's maybe short spell at United. It'll be it will be the fact that he gave Alanga a proper chance and has, has made him into a first team player. So it was a great moment. Um, catchy Chan, everyone loves him, and yeah, it was it was just great to see. And again, for United, like like Samuel said, I believe on social media earlier, you look at that youth cup team who's a part of the one in was it two years ago, uh, you know, two three years ago. United have just continuously got this sort of system of bringing players through and doing so with meaningful minutes and making them into proper footballers. I know that United will say, well, the end goal isn't always to get players in the first team. You can have successes of players who are in the football league or wherever they go elsewhere in the world. But Anthony Alanga, at the moment, he looks like he's he's here to stay. But I guess the, the challenge for him is to make sure he isn't someone like Adnan Yanazai who burst on the scene and then failed to live up to the hype. And there's mm-hmm. still a long way to go. Expectation needs to be carefully looked after but United fans should be very excited at the moment Yeah absolutely, I remember kind of watching a United on a 21 game last season, I believe it was at Loughborough University so I want to say it was against Leicester City and he absolutely dominated that game in kind of windy conditions um, as we're experiencing still um, in England now but um, he, I think he won, I want to say he scored maybe two goals that game and two assists and already I don't know, he, he probably would have been 17-18 then, he just looked a cut above that age group playing against, if I'm not mistaken a quite senior Leicester side as well and it's not it's no surprise, I don't think, to anyone who's watched him. As you say, maybe like Hannibal and uh, Shara were perhaps further along the Pecanada last season under Solskjaer, but Alangas has really come through and taken his chance with both hands, Samuel. And I know um, United, not much to their, uh, not, the United fans, not really their fault up in the rafters at the Wanda Metropolitano. Um, but they, they were quite good. Um, quite in doubt by the Atletico raucous crowd throughout the game. But as soon as that goal went in, all you could hear on, on the TV was that chant. Um, United fans certainly love him. And I think, as Rich said there, Rangnick has really taken to him. He was full of praise for him after after the match and basically set him up on a pedestal for some of his other players to kind of follow in his example. Not just not necessarily for his ability or anything like that, but his desire on the pitch. And it's that's really must be quite um, quite emboldening for his confidence at such a young age. Absolutely. One of the things, possibly the biggest thing that I like uh, and admire about Elanka is his resilience in that he had he had two pretty significant injuries um, last last season and the season before. I think the season before last, uh, he, he was out for four months. He came back and played a couple of games, but then uh, the pandemic just swept across Europe. And of course, that meant him at that age, he was 17. He didn't play again until maybe September time. So that was almost a, a year of his career pretty much wiped out by by injury and then a pandemic. But then he still, you know, he, he still managed to have a decent cameo for, in the first team's only uh, pre-season friendly at Villa Park. And then it was back with the under-23s. And it was almost as if it was a test of him and, and, and keeping him grounded as well, of course. I think a week or two later after that Villa game, he was playing at Rochdale in the EFL Trophy. But I, I mean, I went to that one and he played very well, just... I've done a piece on on him this this uh, for the morning, just pretty much the, the making of him and look, looking back at what I wrote about him. I, 
I said, you know, he was, he was playing quite well, which obviously he, he must have played quite well if I said he's played quite well. Um, but then, of course, last season as well, he had a shoulder injury in January. And at the time, they thought that could have that could have been it for the season. To his credit, his rehabilitation was very disciplined. He got in the squad in April. Then he made his debut in May. Over the summer, he, he bulked up. He, he worked on specific things to prepare him for men's football. He had a really good pre-season. Uh, then he was again. He was one of those players who suffered from the indecision of of Solskjaer, and the he he clearly looked like a player who was ripe for a loan move. He didn't get a loan move. He didn't really get in the first team squad either. I think he had five minutes before Rangnick um, came in, and it was in that training session the day before the Palace game that he, he made an impression. He came on against Palace, did well, and it's been a pretty much an, an upward curve from from there. The challenge is to do it from start to finish. He's he's done well in cameos. He's done well in halves. The, the first half at Villa Park, when I think that was his first, you know, his first genuinely meaningful competitive start for United, because the two starts he had in in, in May last year were in those heavily rotated sides, and United played well in that first half, and then Langer did. But in the second half, he was you know he faded, and you kind of understand that given that it was the his first real proper test in in the Premier League as a starter. But again, he he, ha- he shows that resilience. He's, you know, he, it, it was only three weeks ago that he had the missed penalty against Middlesbrough and then he's got some racist trolls polluting his timeline. Um, he, he gets, you know, he comes back from that. He gets pelted with a missile by Leeds fans. He comes back with that by scoring against them. Um, there's there's just so much to really like about him. He's He is clearly not the most talented player that there's been in the academy in recent years. Going back to that Chelsea game that, I was out in the Youth Cup a few years ago. I think he only came on as a substitute for the last 25 or 30 minutes. But the, the conversion rate from that team, it's its one of those teams that have just flown under the radar because they got knocked out pretty gallingly to Brighton the next round. But Garner, um, Bernard and Mengi are all obviously playing on loan in the Championship. Ethan Laird didn't play that night. He wasn't in the squad. I think he was injured. But he's obviously been playing on loan in the Championship. Dylan Levitt and Ethan Galbraith are, are internationals. Brandon Williams is playing regularly on loan at Norwich in the Premier League. We can't talk a lot about Mason Greenwood, but he did play that night. He scored a hat-trick. He was having an ex- a pretty exceptional career as a regular for Manchester United. Um, and Damani Meller even has, has played senior football with Salford as well. And that's a team that in, in years to come, um, n- nobody's going to be reading, you know, reading too much about there certainly aren't going to be any books written about them but it's still pretty striking how many are having very very good careers at the moment not necessarily at United but at a very good level in in English football and Elanga is is the unlikely success story I suppose and I suppose you know the, the best thing about United post Ferguson has been the, the 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 academy products every manager has had a a legacy there, if you like, uh, you know, for, for better or worse. Moyes had Yanisai, Van Gaal had Rashford and Lingard, Mourinho had McTominay, Solskjaer had Greenwood, and already Ralph Rangnick, who's not even three months in uh, to the role, has, has got Elanga. Um, so it's, you know, that, I suppose that's the one reassuring thing about United, however badly run they are as a club, as, as the academy, despite a period about five years ago or six years ago where it was neglected they've they've done really impressive job in recent years mm-hmm. and who knows what other kind of really good players are coming on the on the conveyor belt in the future as well but you know 
I don't think we can sugarcoat even though it was a good result, how kind of bad United were before then. I don't think we have. But there were some kind of worrying performances. I mean, Fernandez was really bad until, but he still contributed in a meaningful way. Ronaldo, likewise, Fred, as we've said, they all kind of delivered one moment that got United back into it. But I think Rich Marcus Rashford, I think this is getting quite worrying now. I think he was in a kind of another one. I really didn't ex- to expect to start against Atletico with the form he's been in. And he didn't do any anything at all to kind of justify it. It was perhaps one of his kind of worst games in the United shirt. I think he was just absolutely yeah. listless and had absolutely no impact whatsoever. And it's, as I said at length last week, he's, he's he really is in a rut at the moment and it's not looking like he's getting himself out of it anytime soon. No, like you said, it was a surprise, but it last to start and game against Atletico away, just remind me of this, I think Solskjaer would do in the hope he'd score and then that would be you know, everyone smiling again. Rashford's back, you know, where, don't worry, he had a tough spell or whatever. But I think the worry for that as well is that he burst onto the scene as a player who they could rely upon in big games. You think of some of his biggest moments. You think of that goal against City where he absolutely left Demichelis for dead. You think against those two goals against Liverpool. Europa League final, I'd say, is the worst performance. One of the worst individual PSG team I've seen from a player. Yeah, PSG. But then I look at last year, the Europa League finals, one of the worst individual sort of performances I've, yeah. I've seen from a player, particularly of a game of that magnitude. Last night, he sort of seemed to crumble and, and worry under the pressure as well. And I think a lot of it does just come back to confidence. You know, he's not been fully fit for a while and he's always seemed to have these niggles and you wonder if they are actually fully rectified now or not. I mean, you know, having surgery, etc. at the start of the season to try and alleviate these. Has that actually worked 100%? It might transpire eventually that he's not been fully fit, but he just looks shot of confidence now. And another problem for him is that the only position he can play in this United team is a left wing. And he's about fifth or sixth choice there, really, in the pecking order, because I would say that you'd rather have Sancho there, Lingard there, Alanga there, probably rather have Pogba there, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's really has dropped down that, that pecking order now. And, He's just having to play on the right-hand side, which has been well documented that he doesn't like. He's not having an impact on games, you know. There's one moment where I was quite encouraged where he did chase the ball down from his own half to go try to put some pressure on Oblak. He didn't really get near it, but, you know, he was trying and he was really trying to just hopefully have that minute or that moment where he could he could make something happen just from hard work and determination rather than ability or anything other than that. But it's a really interesting one because... Watford this weekend, you would say, well, maybe you do start and just hope that is a game where you can get his confidence up and get a goal. But he doesn't deserve to be starting. He really doesn't deserve to be starting on form. And of course, that would mean, does that mean Alanga or Sancho dropping out of the lineup? You could even argue maybe Rashford should get one game through the middle, considering Ronaldo was pretty obsolete again. It's certainly food for thought against, against Watford this weekend. But I do think that it's one of those where you either just need to address it publicly, say he's not fully fit, which could be the case. He, he might be fully fit. And he either needs a week or two, just completely out of the team, just focus on himself, getting getting right and, and raring to go again, or you just got to sort of persist with him. So Rennick's in a bit of a, a lose-lose of that one. So against Watford this weekend, I, I probably would start Rashford. I know you can't be taking any game for granted, particularly this United side against a team like that. You know, this is Watford who ended Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign because they exposed United's naivety. But mm-hmm. I think you've just got to persist and hope he does have that moment I can understand why but I think that I think you know especially in hindsight don't start Rashford against Atletico but and do start him against Watford is, is what, what I would have done yeah absolutely would either of you have him in the England squad I know it's a few weeks away but does, no, does he get in that 
I think that I think I mean I don't support England, so it's hmm. maybe easier for me to say. <laughs> yeah, but so I you would have him in then, <laughs> object as yeah. an objective journalist. Yeah, but no, I think it just sends out such a bad message. England have always been this this team who are accused of having a big club bias, and Marcus Rashford isn't one of the top four forwards in English football who's eligible for the team. So no, you can't you can't include him. And I think including someone on their past merits just sets up a bad example. I know every manager has favoritism in that regard, but not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think I don't think Rashford is a regular starter in Southgate side at the moment anyway. And a yeah. two-week break at this point couldn't be more beneficial for him to just get his head down, relax, recuperate, rest, come back stronger after said break. And I don't think he needs to be put, you know, being involved in these games when he's unlikely to be a starter in any ways. As we say, left is his strongest position, and at England he's got Grealish ahead of him, Sancho still, and I imagine um, Sterling, of course. So he's even, probably even further down the pecking order at England in that position. He, it wouldn't surprise me if he still goes because England are quite, other than Kane, they're quite light on centre forwards. Um, Calvert Lewin hasn't been doing it this season. Nora Zings are. That's literally the, the the end of the list I can actually think of at the minute. So that was on board well. Abraham, Abraham, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I imagine he's still going to go because it might, unless Southgate has been always been a manager who will take kind of players out the firing line, I think, and rest them if needed, even if it's to his detriment and people are calling him for not picking them. So he wouldn't surprise, I, I'd hope he'd do the same here, especially when he doesn't deserve it. But I think that just the lack of strikers he has at his disposal means Rashford will probably go. And, and on the other hand, maybe it'll do him good because he usually does all right for England. Maybe it'll do him a bit of a boost to go go yeah, away with England, yeah. and a bit of a confidence boost. And they're both friendlies, aren't they, for England? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So then again, you do maybe just say, would you play him, try and see if he can get his confidence up or whatever. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's just so... You can you make a strong argument either way, can't you? And... Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. But as I say, kind of looking forward to the weekend. Um, United are kind of fortunate to have a bit of a respite after such a tough game to be playing Watford. Well, as we'd think, um, it's a few months on from that humiliating loss that, as Rich said, kind of ended all his reign in charge. Um, but Watford, if anything, have got worse since then. Hodgson's come in, but hasn't really been able to stop the rot there. Um, as I think we know, Hodgson's type of manager needs a bit of time to sort any defence out with his kind of. Um, uh, meticulous training methods, but he did get a result over Villa uh, last week. But um, on Wednesday, was uh, absolutely battered by um, who was it? Crystal Palace for one they lost to. So it's an interesting one, Samuel. As you say, United kind of got a boost on Wednesday as Burnley beat Spurs. Um, Spurs doing as Spurs does. Yeah. So they've been given a kind of a little bit of breathing room in the top four race as well. West Ham haven't really been able to capitalise on United's drop points recently either, but. Playing Watford, it's a match that they Ranjik absolutely has to win. I think no questions asked. Really. Oh yeah, um, th- there was a great stat from Simon Peach at Ellen Road, who said that Watford's last six Premier League away wins have come under six different managers, <laughs> which m- must must be a first in human history. I think we did just about name all the managers. It's, it's difficult to keep up at Watford, and and that particular. Um, Fire and fire method isn't really serving them well. Um, I think they probably they they got it wrong first of all going with Ranieri, um, even though he got it very right on that day against United, which just goes to show what an absolute state United were in at the time. Um, but I don't, I really don't understand why they went with him. Maybe it's because of the Italian factor, because of the owners, but it was just so logical given how badly it went at, at Fulham a few seasons ago. 
And although Hodgson has done it before um, with with Fulham and West Brom, that was that was a long time ago. You're going back. I think it was cracky, was it? But eleven years when he was parachuting at West Brom to replace Di Matteo and Fulham, he was replacing Laurie Sanchez. It was that long ago, and that was two thousand seven eight. So th- these are these are lifetimes ago in football, and he, he did a very good, steady job at Palace. But he steadied the ship at Palace because Frank de Boer was. Uh, ousted after about four games, I think it was you know, the the worst manager in the history of the Premier League, as uh, as, as Mourinho pr- probably accurately dubbed him. And although they've got players that, I mean, watching Ismail Assar in the highlights last week, there was a lot to like about him. You'd imagine that he'll he'll get a move in the summer. And uh, to, in fairness to Solskjaer, I think he he did identify a pretty good player there. And it'll be interesting to see which which club he does move to. But that. When you look at their team on paper, you think that they they should be a fair way above the relegation zone. I think they have got some decent, you know, some very good individuals, some Premier League proven players, some steady players. There's a good mix there, but they've just not got the manager right. And then there are certain areas of the team that are so key, like the goalkeeper situation, that they've just pretty much neglected. They, they do not have a, a Premier League standard goalkeeper anymore. Ben Foster's had a very good career, but He's not even a regular goal, goalie at Watford anymore. But unfortunately for United, they've had this recent habit of um, tripping over themselves at home. And although they beat Brighton uh, last week, I think the the Middlesbrough result and, and the Southampton result probably stick in the mind a bit more and, and, and feel fresher than than that Brighton result. And, and in fairness to Brighton, they were, they were excellent in the first half. They were very unlucky. Um, when it was 11 versus 11, they were the better side. And when it was 11 versus 10, they still could have nicked a point with a couple of couple of opportunities they had so I mean the key for United is just not to not to get complacent and they got complacent in, in the first first minutes of the second half against Leeds and, and look what happened um, it's, it's it's a case as simple as it sounds that if United just play well and play competently they they will win because Watford are, are one of the worst teams in the league and you, you sense maybe Watford are, have also been a little bit deflated by uh, Burnley's recent form, which is obviously picked up, and they had another excellent result again last night. Newcastle are on the up and up as well. Uh, until recently, Norwich were doing pretty well as well. So Watford are of, of the relegation candidates. They are the worst at the moment. So anything other than a pretty comfortable United win, um, you know, I think you know it, it would be a disappointment to say the least on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see many changes, Rich? Um, I mean, like we said, I, f- I think you can almost, you can't go in it too complacent, but I think you do need to reward the languor of a start. You have to, particularly in that sort of calibre of game. Sancho has to start, like I said, Ronaldo, maybe it is an opportunity to play Rashford through the middle. I'm not necessarily sure you should do, but maybe maybe you can. If McTominay's out again, you, your hands are a bit tied in, in terms of midfield setup. I guess you can play Pogba there, you can play... Fred and Fernandez again. That is quite open though, but it is Watford at home, so you probably get away with that one as well. Centre back, there probably is reason now to drop Lindelof, even though he's sort of thrown under the bus by being played out of position against Atletico. But you stick with Varane and Maguire. Shaw or Tellers at left back. I think I don't think there is a right answer in that regard. I think at right back as well, that fans will make an argument for for either one really. But you are at home. I don't think you need Juan Bissaka. Um, and again. Follow on to what Samuel said before, a player who's praised for making that many recovery challenges begs the question why he's out of position so often anyway, that he's having to redeem himself on the pitch. I think that 
like I said, midfield sounds like it's going to be it's going to, have to be full strength. There's not really many other options for that. But if United do go strong and you know they do get a comfortable lead, then maybe there is a chance to, you know, if you're winning two three nil on the on the hour mark, then maybe you could bring Rashford on as a striker. Then maybe you could give Hannibal a, a chance at Old Trafford in a, in a meaningful match as well. So yeah, United just need to get get these points on the on the board because. Seeing Tottenham lose to Burnley as well in midweek, that top four. I mean, we, we always joke about it not being a top four race. United, for me, is still, I, I'm still so confident in United getting top four because they might be pretty bad themselves, but the competition is useless. And, you know, United are going to get top four in my eyes. There's no real doubt about it. But in order to do that, you've just got to be churning out results against teams like Watford at home. So mm-hmm. I'd expect United to go quite strong, but then maybe mix it up from the bench. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, only time will tell. And whatever does happen, we'll have it all covered on manchestereveningnews.co.uk. And of course, you can follow uh, all, all the stories and all our coverage of the match and every match to come over on Twitter at Man United MEN and on our Facebook page, uh, Facebook, um, Manchester Evening News slash Manchester United. Thank you very uh, everyone very much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week, hopefully, after United have got another Premier League win under their belts. Uh, thank you very much. And we'll see you soon. Ta-ra.